What's up, y'all? This is Zach with Living Corporate. And you know what we're doing every single week. We are centering and amplifying black and brown voices at work. And how do we do that? We're having authentic conversations with all types of people. As you may or may not know, our tagline is real talk in a corporate world, right? So what does that mean? That means we're having like, you know, the discussions that you may have over drinks with someone after work or, uh, you know, over a coffee before work. We're having those conversations out loud. Um, I know for me, as a, uh, a first-generation Black professional, I really valued when people who looked like me pulled me aside and gave me that reel. And so our goal is to really democratize uh, information and flatten access to everybody by creating content that does that. You know, I'm giving all this intro because of the group and the people that I'm interviewing today. And I anticipate that there are going to be folks who've listened to Living Corp who've never listened to Living Corp before. You want to kind of level set from time to time. Uh, and this interview is pretty unique. We actually have Dr. Catrice Albert, Executive Vice President of Culture, Innovation and Inclusion at S2A Solutions, and Eric Severson, EVP and Chief People Officer at Neiman Marcus Group. Welcome to the show. How are y'all doing? Great, Good morning. Thank you so much for having us. You know, it's it's an honor. You know, this is a unique interview. And I think what I want to do is give each of you space to introduce yourselves a little bit and the dynamic of how uh, Neiman Marcus and Third Eye Consulting are working together and just like the context of even like this conversation. Catrice, why don't you start? Sure. Thank you so much, Eric. So I'm Catrice Albert, as Zach uh, introduced, and um, I am a principal and managing member of Third Eye Consulting Group. I have 25 years of executive higher education leadership, especially in the areas of diversity and equity and inclusion and belonging. Um, Associated with that is how do we really help professionals thrive in their corporate setting, in higher education, and how do we do this in a way where people understand that we've got to be able to bring diverse top talent together in order to reach all of the you know business and higher education needs that leaders are expecting. And I'm Eric Severson. I'm the Chief People and Belonging Officer, as you noted, Zach, of Neiman Marcus Group. And I've been doing this work for close to 30 years, and we're excited to be partnering with Catrice and Third Eye Group as part of our overall journey towards creating a workplace of belonging. And our purpose in doing that is really several fold. One, it's the right thing to do, to have a workplace where everyone, regardless of background, feels like they have the ability and the potential and the opportunity and the equity to reach their full potential. But secondly, it's about competitive advantage that people everywhere want to work somewhere where they have the same opportunity as everyone else, where there's equity and the ability to achieve their dreams. And ultimately, we want to be uh, the employer of choice and the workplace of choice within the luxury retail space. You know, that's incredible. Um, I, I find it uh, curious. You know, I, I don't talk to I'm going to be a little tacky. I'm going to name drop. So, you know, we've had the CEO of SurveyMonkey on. We've had uh, the CEO of Great Place to Work on. We've had, like, you know, different executives on Living Corporate. I don't know how many, like, chief people officers like we've had. And so let me ask you this. 
Eric, as we talk about like Neiman Marcus and like the decision to work with Third Eye, like why now, right? Like what were the actions and intentions around this space prior to George Floyd's murder? And like, what was it about? And again, I'm kind of making a presumption that things shifted and changed because it seemed to be kind of like a pattern across the corporate space that George Floyd's murder compounded by Black Lives Matter's protests, compounded by some of the actions of the president. Like those things kind of came together to create this momentum and pressure to do something different and new. I'm curious to understand more about like how at all, if at all, that impacted Neiman Marcus's decision and what was going on in Neiman Marcus before this moment. Yeah, great question, Zach, because it did. I would just start in the place, though, of saying that our intention before those actions of the summer was to create a diversity and belonging strategy that would do what I mentioned earlier. And this is something that in each employer I've worked with, we've endeavored to do, which is to create a competitive advantage through diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. In other words, to differentiate ourselves and set ourselves apart from our competitors by being a place where everyone has equity and equal opportunity. So we had decided in the spring as an outcome of our people strategy work to uh, put together a multi-year diversity and belonging strategy that was a few months before George Floyd's murder. That incident and the events that followed really accelerated and catalyzed our work. It caused us to say, this is something that we were planning to address, but we need to accelerate that work and we need to put a special emphasis on racial equity. And that's where we decided to partner with Catrice and Third Eye Group who are experts in that space to really help us jump on this and accelerate the work we were doing and accentuate it. And, you know, we're happy to talk to you about some of the things that we're going to be doing in partnership with Dr. Albert, because I think uh, we're pretty excited and proud of the agenda we have ahead of us. Eric, you know, I'm really excited to get there and talk about, you know, the planning and how you all are moving forward. I think what I also want to understand, kind of again, just from a foundation setting perspective, Dr. Albert, you know, the, the folks I talk to um, in the DEI space, they have all types of clients that they they don't actually take on. If if they're privileged enough economically that they can, you know, turn work away. Um, I'm curious, I would imagine that, you know, you don't say yes to everybody. And so I'm curious as to what was it about Neiman Marcus Group that encouraged you to take them on and work with them as a partner here. Yeah. Yeah, Zach. So you're absolutely right. I've been 30 years in the game and I know frauds and can smell them out a mile away, right? Those sort of folks who are smoke and mirrors that they want to be able to, you know, have a DE&I expert, subject matter expert to come in and to check the box. And what I, you know, felt during the entire request for proposal time and the connections with Eric and with his senior leaders, it was a few things. The first is that they had already, you know, launched into understanding their associates' feelings of belonging, their associates' um, ways of thinking about how to make Neiman Marcus a better 
connected, a better engaged organization. Um, and from the leadership down that it was a corporation being transformed and transfixed on the mission of love, right? The mission of love. So I, I study bell hooks, I study, you know, um, womanist theory and, you know, bell hooks talks about, uh, you know, our commitment, especially among blacks and, um, brown people that we've got to be invested in, you know, loving ourselves and loving each other and falling in love with each other over and over and over and over again, especially, you know, how difficult times are with, you know, issues of racism, issues of otherness in the workplace and, you know, coming to a reckoning on anti-Black hatred. And so taking the partnership and wanting to be linked arm in arm with Nima Marcus was because I could tell from a top-down leadership approach that, you know, issues of belonging and issues of engagement, both internally in the organization and for their clients and customers was just, you know, with a foundation of love and a commitment to one another. That's a beautiful thing. And it's encouraging to hear, you know, I think about, I, I think about this space and, and I'm again, so Eric, like I got a couple more questions. I'm not picking on you. I promise. Maybe I am picking on you because this is a platform we're talking about. <laughs> it's about centering and amplifying black and brown folks at work. Help me understand something. You know, there's, there continues to be this increased like pressure and challenge from folks across the board, black and white, brown, who challenge white men, white folks in general, being in these very senior positions around like equity and inclusion and diversity. I'm curious, like I'm certain that those things, you hear those things, you hear those critiques and like, how do you receive that? What is your position on like the role that white folks should be playing in the space of diversity, equity, inclusion? And what advice would you give to other white professionals or white folks seeking to work in this space? Yeah, I, I love that question, Zach. And I have had it asked of me many times in the past, going back to my first full-time job in this space when I was head of diversity and inclusion at Gap Inc. back in 2004, 2005. And here's my thinking about it. I think, first of all, the fact of the matter is that anyone who self-identifies as a minority in any way in this country, whether that individual identifies as Black, as LGBT, as a person with a disability, whatever it is, recognizes that by definition, by being in the minority of the power structure of the country, of your company or whatever organization, you're always going to need the support and allyship of those in the majority to get full justice and equity. That's just a, it's a fact. And so what I say to people is we need to figure out how to get people who are in positions of power, who make the rules in organizations, right? And, and practically every entity of power in the United States, whether it's the U.S. Congress, whether it's a corporation like Neiman Marcus, or whether it's a nonprofit organization, the people at the top of the organization are the ones who make the rules. They're the ones who decide who gets hired, who doesn't get hired, who gets promoted, how much they get paid, what the culture is like. So it's imperative for people who are part of 
the majority that controls the power of organizations to be involved actively in disrupting the structure of structural inequity, whether it's structural racism, structural homophobia, etc., because those things are implicit in the structures and they have to be deconstructed. So, you know, when someone asks, well, why do you think that you should be engaged in this work? And like, why did we add belonging to my title, chief people and belonging officer? Because I want to be held accountable for creating an environment at Neiman Marcus where every single individual, regardless of how she or they identify, can belong there and therefore has an environment of equity where they can reach their full potential. Like that's my responsibility. I want to hold myself accountable and I want to hold Neiman Marcus accountable. And that's why also at Neiman Marcus and at DeVita, my previous corporation where I see people officer and at Gap Inc. before that, our diversity, equity, and inclusion strategy is not about happy talk and just feel good training, et cetera. It's about systematically year over year implementing components in our infrastructure that ensure that there's equity across the board. It's what implementing what I would call evidence-based bias interrupters throughout all of our operating processes, whether that's hiring, whether that's talent management and promotion, whether that's the infrastructure of interacting with customers, things that ensure that in a system of structural inequity, which is what we have in the United States, that we've implemented the right practices to make sure that everyone has equal opportunity and equal access to get ahead and get to where they need to be and to be comfortable and happy in our workplace. So that's things like in the talent space, implementing diverse uh, candidate slates requirements, uh, what's outside of corporate world known as the Rudy rule, or uh, requirements for diverse hiring panels, or diverse sourcing, etc., as well as having objectives and goals around diversifying leadership over time to hold ourselves accountable for making progress. It's real, operational, tangible, concrete steps that change the system. And that's what I'm all about. And I think that as an experienced business person, part of where I can add value is to open the door to making those structural operating changes happen so that we get the results and outcomes around diversity, equity, and inclusion that we want. Because at the end of the day, the point of all of this is that everyone has both equal opportunity and equal access to the success factors that allow people to, to thrive uh, at work. So Zach, um, so so this is part of the reason why you know I did not hesitate to work directly with Nima Marcus because here it is a white male executive being two things. Number one, a waymaker, right? Making ways for all to be able to thrive and succeed, you know, in the organizational structure because of dismantling systems that have historically excluded you know, many types of people, mainly black and brown people. And number two, being highly culturally intelligent. And so that's where we want, you know, the white power structure, as Eric talked about, those that hold the power in organizations to number one, 
grow their cultural intelligence, where they are focused on um, minimizing their you know, microaggressions that they have in the workplace every day, understanding their unconscious bias, understanding the attitudes and beliefs that they have about others, but then also building the knowledge and the skill set necessary to change the structure so that everybody belongs. Um, so, you know, the, so we need everyone in this space doing the smart thing, right? We get nowhere alone. So of course we need you know, whites in corporate America to take on the responsibility of having high levels of cultural intelligence and disrupting these structural experiences that continue to exclude blacks and browns from, you know, achieving the success that they rightfully should have in corporate America. No, absolutely. And I was going to say, you know, a few things that Eric, that you mentioned, and we're going to get back to hundred percent, Dr. Albert, uh, your points. I just want to, I want to address things like in order. So Eric, like use a lot of words there that frankly, I just don't hear a lot of other like white DNI leaders using in these spaces, which are accountability systems, power, even belonging data, evidence-based deconstruct. Right. And a hundred percent, Dr. Albert, to your point, it speaks to the level of awareness and intelligence that is needed in this work. I think that I was just having this conversation offline with someone else is that the way that America by and large is willfully obtuse on matters of race is in itself racist, right? Like we, we don't take certain things because we don't take it serious, but you know, you don't take things serious that you don't value. As an example, I'm not a big Dungeons and Dragons person, so I can't tell you the value count of a dragon if you rolled a five on a six-sided die like I, I don't know i don't care that doesn't mean anything to me and as a result i'm going to be really really behind the eight ball as it pertains to that realm that space the sad part is that a lot of folks treat black equity like dungeons and dragons right like it's like this thing that isn't really real but like whatever and if you really are enthusiast about it then you know go ahead i guess but who cares and and i, I think that's right i think it's 100 percent right that that we need to one hold ourselves to a higher point of accountability to actually be smart about these things just like you'd be smart about your soft line sales or uh the planogram and the strategy behind laying it out and and the the shopping pattern of your uh your saturday customers you need to have the same level of intentionality and intellectual rigor around uh, your employees and, and lived experience and how those things tie into burnout. But the point is, is that like there needs to be mirrored effort, intellectual and emotional effort to understand, to interrogate and to engage. And if we're not doing that, then we're just we're not operating at the top of our respective licenses. Um, within within the organizations that, that we work, I'm curious. You know, Eric, we're going to get to the things that you're you're doing, uh, that Neiman Marcus, rather, excuse me, is doing um, in a moment. I, I'm curious, like, as the work, Dr. Albert, as y'all have been working together, and you, you you've come on um, as a consultative partner for the Neiman Marcus Group. You know, what are some of the biggest? Again, I recognize <laughs> this is a public podcast. I'm not asking for you to air nobody out, but just if you were to kind of give like themes. What are some of the themes that, you know, you feel like you've identified in terms of kind of like where Neiman Marcus and like opportunities you have recognized to really expand and grow upon? 
So we're early in the emphasis stages of the relationship, and um, it's really exciting that they've done some of the work already, you know, doing some focus groups around the things that associates are thinking and feeling and, you know, launching a major all associates survey, right? Because uh, as Eric talked about, we want to have the baseline data to be able to know exactly how to make the move so that the associates can see that their voices are being heard. Um, I really think it's important to also appreciate and recognize that I'll be working directly with the senior leadership and then all the uh, leaders cascading down with levels of uh, cultural intelligence and a, and a team dynamics experience so that the leadership all across the U.S. are able to, you know, really hold others accountable uh, in the entire organization. And so this sort of five-part series will really tackle issues related to fearless and brave conversations how do you um, understand microaggressions in the workplace and help to mitigate um, those unconscious biases? How do you really think through a plan of action such that hiring patterns are um, realized so that everyone has um, an equitable opportunity to not only be attracted and recruited to Neiman Marcus, but to be hired and then to be you know, supported and succession planned uh, to higher levels in the organization. And then really a call to courage for everyone, right? So Eric talked about this sense of belonging, you know, being woven through the entire organization of Neiman Marcus. And, you know, we um, utilize, you know, this HR guru, Dave Ulrich, who is really known for how do you really do this work well? And it means that you have to have a focus on, you know, internal engagement in real time and in real ways and invest, you know, for the long haul in internal engagement. You have to do that externally, too. So with your external, you know, partners and customers, because that shapes the culture that you want and it leads to the transformational change that you expect. And so, you know, I think that Eric and his colleagues understand that this is long haul work, right? I always say exclusion didn't start yesterday. So inclusive excellence won't happen tomorrow. It's a put your one foot in front of the other every day. And so I think that, you know, um, in this infancy of the relationship, we're seeing that you know, all voices that are a part of Neiman Marcus really matter from the earlier focus groups now to the, you know, large scale associate wide survey, and then a commitment to growing, you know, not only emotional intelligence, but the competencies, the leadership competencies around cultural intelligence as well. And, you know, to that point around there, it being a journey, Eric, like, can we talk a little bit about the things that Neiman Marcus is mobilizing that you're really excited about in the spirit of uh, dismantling or engaging the systems as they are today and reengaging them in the name of, of racial equity? Sure. Well, Zach, part of doing that involves, as Dr. Albert said, taking the long view. So we're implementing a three-year strategy, and it has three distinct pillars. 
The first is workforce, the second is workplace, and the third is marketplace. And the idea behind the pillars is that if you want to create an organization of diversity, equity, inclusion, and ultimately belonging, you have to address all dimensions of your ecosystem that affect people. So I've talked a lot already about the workplace, but the workplace at Neiman Marcus is also a marketplace in which customers, brands, suppliers all interact, as well as members of the community who may not be any of those. So the workforce dimension is about talent fundamentally. So it's about the parts of our business that affect attracting, retaining, and developing people. So the bias interrupters, if you will, that we're implementing in that pillar of our strategy have to do with putting in place those evidence-based practices that ensure that when we're sourcing talent to work at Neiman Marcus, that we're casting the net wide and equitably. So it's about changing our sourcing strategies to ensure that we are sourcing qualified talent from many diverse talent pools so that when you're actually then making the talent selection decisions, you're making those from a broad, diverse, qualified pool of candidates. Then also implementing evidence-based practices in selection and development of talent to ensure that bias doesn't come into play and that there's equity for all qualified candidates for roles. So that involves things like I talked about earlier, implementing a practice requiring diverse candidate slates for key roles or diverse hiring panels where you ensure that the people who are making the hiring decisions are representative of the diversity of the workforce. And then ultimately in processes like succession management, like talent reviews, that you have bias interrupters there as well. So that includes, for example, having a lens when you're reviewing talent to ensure that you are including talent of color, talent of all abilities, LGBTQ talent, et cetera. And that's just in that that's in the workforce bucket. And that's what people usually think about when they think about DNI. The, the second pillar is workplace. And that's about the, the, the actual work environment for employees. That, that includes all of the things that affect whether someone feels like she or he or they are included. So that's how you communicate with people. And is that, is that equitable? Is it inclusive? Does it look like and feel like all of your associates. It includes how you train people. And in, in, in all of these pillars, the approach that we're taking, which is the one that we took at Gap and at DeVita, is not to create a proliferation of new DEI programs, but rather to integrate into your core operating practices, whether that's hiring or training or serving customers, inclusive practices that ensure that everyone is included and treated equitably and equally, whether they're an associate, a customer, a brand, or a supplier. And that's a breakthrough idea because a lot of people think of DEI as a lot of new programs that are just about diversity, equity, inclusion. Yes. And there's nothing yes. wrong with those things. But the problem is that it's, it's basic operating practices in a company or organization like hiring, 
serving, bringing people up, buying things that affect the day-to-day life experience of the people in that system more than anything else you do. You can train your associates, you know, a hundred hours a year. And if you don't change the way that you hire people, if you don't ensure that there are practices in place to ensure that customers are treated equitably uh, and equally, it doesn't matter. It doesn't change the material life of the people in the system. And then the marketplace dimension is about non-employees. This is about the other people in the ecosystem and what we have to change about the interactions with those people. So for example, what's included in that for Neiman Marcus is our marketing practices, how we market, what the casting looks like for the models who appear in our marketing, whom we're marketing to, through what vehicles. It includes customer interactions in stores and online. So what practices we have to ensure that every customer has the same uh, high touch, uh, exceptional experience, regardless of race, gender, uh, ethnicity, sexual orientation, etc. cetera. Uh, so it, the objective of this strategy then is that over the next three years, we will make market market and quantifiable improvements on key metrics. So all of these, I mentioned practices, well, how do you know if they're getting anywhere? Well, you have to identify key metrics to measure in each one of those three dimensions of workforce, workplace, and marketplace to be able to track whether you're making a difference. So for example, in the workforce dimension, that means, for instance, identifying targets in leadership diversity, for example, that that we can track ourselves against. So if, if in today's world, perhaps our the percent of African-American leaders in the organization is 6%. And we look out at uh, the peer group for ourselves and see that it's at 10%, then we want to at least first get to 10% and be at that place, if that makes sense. And you do that through the evidence-based practices of making sure that the pool of qualified candidates from which we're drawing leaders and developing leaders represents the diversity of our of our workforce so that we make those selections they're equitable selections and everyone has both equal opportunity and equal access to those promotion opportunities my goodness gracious now look i don't typically you know we have a soundboard right so like you know we try to kind of keep everything kind of light because we don't want everything to be too heavy and boring i don't know if you listen to living corporate you'll you'll hear that you know we have a little background music on in the background but i, I gotta drop this right here because you over here just going crazy. That's a flex bomb. So, so here's a little, just cultural education. Um, Eric, I don't know if you listened to uh, New York radio uh, in the 2000s, but there was a, a, a DJ. Uh, his name was Funk. His name is Funk Master Flex, right? And every now and then, like, you'll say something really crazy or he'll be, you know, he drops some bars and he drops the flex bomb. So, like, you know, that was like a, that's a flex bomb. Okay. That's a, that's something to, to, to add in faces. Okay. Uh, no, but absolutely. I, I'm right there with you. Um, I think it's incredible that one, not only that you outlined, you know, things that you're doing, but then like gave some practical examples. Cause a lot of folks, they listen to living corporate um, or they just engage in the space and they're trying to figure out just what to do. A lot of folks that are ignorant to what to do and they, they want to do something. They just don't know what those things are. Let's continue forward. Like, 
I recognize that uh, Neiman Marcus Group is working with a variety of different like partners and vendors, of course, including uh, Dr. Albert and, and Third Eye. I'm, I'm curious, like uh, Eric, are there any other groups, partners that you're working with to help as y'all continue in this um, in this journey? Yeah, so we're also partnering with Canaries. It's a fascinating organization, uh, Black-owned and founded organization that is a combination of a tech company. So it's a data, uh, a data company that focuses on diversity, equity, inclusion. And their sweet spot, which is a perfect complement to Dr. Albert, is that they help organizations measure progress. So it's the Canaries survey that we are leveraging this fall to assess our organizational need. So we've already built a strategy, which I described, which is based on all of our years of experience with what it takes in any company in order to make progress. So there are certain things you don't have to survey people to know that you need to make, you need to ensure like equal employment opportunity and equity. Then though, you, if you're doing this work the right way, you need to understand the lived experience of your associates. And Canaries is the best of the market, in my opinion, at leveraging big data analytics in order to help companies in a very complex and sophisticated way understand the experience of your associates across a whole bunch of intersectional dimensions. So not just to try to understand monolithically what is the experience of a of a black associate in your organization, because of course there isn't one, <laughs> there are many, um, right, or right. the woman's ex- experience, but it, it allows associates to talk about their experience interdimensionally through the sophistication of the survey tool. So we're going to take that data and it's going to help us build out and further refine our strategy so that we can figure out what do our associates want us to focus on first, second, or third as the most impactful parts of their experience. So I think that it's the combination of what they're going to bring to us in terms of measuring, quantifying, and holding ourselves accountable. And then what Dr. Albert's bringing to us in terms of capability building, because we're uh, Dr. Albert and I are really kindred spirits is that in addition to measuring and quantifying in a very operational way, system changes, you have to bring about capability building. So diversity, equity, inclusion isn't about conferring facts on people about other groups, which is how some of this work has been done in the past. It's about building people's and especially leaders capability and cultural competency in inquiry in, in using evidence-based techniques in order to connect with other people and understand other people and have conversations with other people. That's all that, that ever changes people's connection with one another ever. And so it's this great combination of the data and the capabilities that's really supporting us in our journey. And our job is to do the work of putting in place these practices, changing the system and continuing to grow as leaders and as people. And, and it's a journey that's never over to be culturally competent. You have to work on this till the day you die. So Dr. Albert, I'm curious to get your perspective on a couple of things. One, what advice would you have for executive leadership uh, groups who are doing the work, uh, who are trying to take on the journey and they're, you know, they're, you know, 
you made made a mention earlier that it takes time, right? Like these things don't happen overnight. What does it look like to make sure that they have the resilience to deal with their marginalized employees and their, their, their employees who are aspirational allies who will critique them along the journey, right? And not to take those things personally or to heart to the point where they consciously or subconsciously end up kind of curtailing effort to the point where that they end up losing momentum? Like, what does it look like to build that muscle, so yeah. to speak? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And, you know, it's, it is a long haul approach. You know, Eric talked about a three year um, experience related to having the data and then, you know, having the pulse across the three years. And you're absolutely right. You're going to be critiqued along the way because a DE&I and belonging strategy um, will have fits and starts. You're going to take three steps forward and one step back. And you just have to be able to keep going because you're going to hear the critique, right? And then people get personalized when they're saying, well, gosh, I'm working so hard here and you're not seeing you know, me work hard and you're not complimenting enough, right? Or you're not seeing the success that we're having. You're only mentioning to us the things that aren't working. And so I think a couple things. You first of all have to keep going. You've got to know that a DE&I and belonging strategy is a messy proposition, but you would not, you know, um, you know, just stop gap on on technology that might have issues, and you would not just put a stop gap on, you know, other, you know, smart growth opportunities that you have. So you've got to, you know, keep going. I think that you build muscle when you understand that, you know, um, one of my colleagues that that's from the arts world she suggests that you build the muscle in three pound weight so that if everyone sees that they are a part of, you know, um, this process and Eric talked about it, building capacity so that everyone picks up a three pound weight related to the DNI strategy that everyone is doing, you know, a part of the, the, the role. Everyone is, you know, carrying some of the water. It doesn't seem like it's an arduous task. And I think that, you know, partnering with, you know, um, folks like Canaries that will help you pulse along the way so that you can see where you have um, made success, where things need to be sort of tweaked, and then things where you need to course correct. I think, you know, here's the deal. You're going to have places where you thought, wow, this, this workplace you know, um, experience or, or um, work function is what we really thought was going to, you know, take off because we're really focused in on culture. And then it sort of falls flat, right? It's about course correcting, saying, okay, this didn't work, you know, in the way in which we thought. Let's get together and put our minds together and have some intellectual brain trust and be curious as to number one, why it didn't work and what else might we try? So I think it's about, you know, really having that full throttle communication across the board with sort of like the pulse surveys along the way, building the, you know, the muscle, the muscle memory with the three pound weights, because everyone has a responsibility to do this work. Um, And then course correcting when it doesn't actually go in the ways in which, you know, you're expecting. And then I have to also add, Zach, you got to celebrate, right? 
Because when you do have success, people want to be with winners, right? That comes from 100%. Yeah, it comes from the sports world. People want to be with winners. And even if you get continuous base hits, at some point, you're going to slide into home. So absolutely got to celebrate. No, you're absolutely right. And to your point, the last thing you said, yo, if you're a baseball player and you get base hits every time you're at bat, you're a Hall of Famer. That's right. So that's right. (laughs) so, So there's something to be said about that. You know, what does it look like, Dr. Albert, in terms of not just the Neiman Marcus Group, but executive organizations? You, know, you think through um, 2021, you thought, and, and before we get to 2021, we got to talk about November. In a few short weeks, we're going to have the most uh, consequential election of, I'll, I'll speak for myself and say my lifetime, because um, I don't want to be arrogant. You know, I'm, I'm 31 years old. Y'all talking about y'all been working uh, as long as I've been around. So I, I don't want to act like this is the, you know, history of cyclical things happen like i'm not trying to be whatever but i'm gonna just speak for myself and say it's definitely one of the most consequential elections of my lifetime what does it look like in your mind for how organizations need to pivot and shift if at all depending on the outcome of the election yeah so can i talk a little bit about how people are feeling through um a global pandemic Uh, a racial pandemic and an election that I think is in my lifetime as well. One of the consequential ones. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Good. uh, I I think that, you know, people are exhausted, right? So I wrote a book on racial battle fatigue and the fatigue that, you know, our colleagues of color, uh, especially um, have right now um, having to deal with the challenges of racism and anti-black hatred and we can see that woven through, you know, all of the conversations, all of the debates, the things that people are saying as it relates to the election. It is so divisive, right? Um, as of right now, um, and and you could tell that it's been in a, a very divisive along the way. So I, I do think that we've got to be mindful as executives that. You know, our associates uh, throughout the entire organization at every level, they're very fatigued. Um, And I think that they're very worried about what the outcome is going to be. So that impacts their productivity. Right. So I think that compassionate leadership where grace and a plume and levels of assuming positive intent you know, for everyone in the organization is going to be vital, necessary, and required, especially as we hit into November. Um, There is levels of exhaustion and there are levels of fear that I think that people just, it manifests in all sorts of ways in the household, in civic organizations, in our places of worship, and at work. So I think that executives have to have you know, levels of compassionate leadership uh, to understand just how people are feeling. A hundred percent. I think, let me ask again, for your answer was phenomenal. So thank you, Dr. Albert. And shout out to Racial Battle Fatigue. Yo, it's, you know what, Dr. Albert, you also, that's wild humble of you that you did not, in your introduction, talk about the fact that you wrote uh, Racial Battle Fatigue because Racial Battle Fatigue is one of the most critical pieces of, uh, of literature uh, in this space, um, I'm going to say in my lifetime. So incredible. We'll link that book in the show notes just as a peer aside. Like that's great. One of my mentors, 
talks about racial battle fatigue and has shared several pieces of research that you have contributed to or that you have been cited in. Um, and so it's just funny in real time. I'm like, oh, wait, it's this Dr. Albert. That's why I cannot believe I'm talking to Dr. Albert on this podcast. OK, let me follow up, though, because I appreciate your answer. And Eric, feel free to chime in here. The election is happening. Yeah. Okay. It's so what I'm, what I'm trying to understand is we got somebody who has been complicit, if not uh, downright supportive of white supremacist tactics and groups. He's used language that is directly targeted and leveraged to wage war on black and brown people. He's also signed an executive order that people are enforcing to not teach diversity and inclusion groups. That's creating some lines in the sand as it pertains to federal engagement and training. So my point is, is that I'm curious is what does it look like? I, and maybe I'm being overly simplistic. I'm anxious about how real these intentions and efforts are going to be if Trump gets back in the White House. And so what I'm curious to get perspective on from y'all is, is that a real concern? And if so, like how as leaders and DEI and belonging consultants, are you navigating it? Well, I mean, so Zach, of course. So I want to echo the election is going to happen, right? <laughs> the election is happening in November. Um, you're absolutely right. There's been executive orders that we are unable, you know, some federal agencies are unable to lead efforts around uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. But I would think that um, corporations would not follow that lead, right? I think that it's important that you know, executives in every industry, right? For-profit, non-profit, higher education, sport, everywhere where you actually want to have levels of higher connectivity, higher engagement, we don't have a choice. There's no choice in the matter, but to be executives with a full front focus on, you know, enhancing DEI because of all of this swirl in American history right now. You don't have a choice. And I think that, you know, back to the earlier point, in these workplaces, you don't get to the levels of productivity that you want to have unless there are diverse teams that are being hired, that are being cultivated and supported, and that are being succession planned. So I would say you shouldn't follow the lead of you know, doing away with or disengaging in, you know, you know, efforts around DEI. In fact, I think you should redouble efforts at this moment in time. No, one hundred percent. And and I and I, I I agree with you, Doctor Albert. To be clear, I think I do get anxiety about, you know, there there seems to be this uh, deference to to power irrespective of who wields it or the, the manner in which they do wield it. Right. And so I, I, I think I speak for not every black person. Cause I mean, there's two of us here. I speak for one half. You speak for the other half, but the, is <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's that, um, is, is the idea that, you know, that the white lash is coming, right. That the retreatment is coming. I think we've already, you know, I think we could probably look at this year and we kind of see it like a, um, like an upside down V right. Of like, you know, things were kind of getting planned and it peaked at the murder of George Floyd. And then things have kind of started to retreat back. And I'm I'm cautious about that. You know, I think also we had Nicole Hannah Jones on earlier this year and it was literally right before the White House administration decided to, you know, wage a war and kind of like do a, a, a white clap back. Um, so not on the one and the three, but on the two and the four. 
you know, just not really appreciating the history of it and looking to kind of undermine it. And so I get nervous about that. I, I, I and I think I speak for a, a good number of folks who who kind of are, if not nervous, at least probably just pessimistic about kind of the future. Now, look, I don't want to end it on that note. So, Eric, look, I'm tapping you back in here. Let's talk about Neiman Marcus. Let's talk about what you're excited about. And then also, I know that you've been dropping bomb gems. I don't want to say bombs. Context of this conversation, we've been talking about administration anyway. I don't want to. Uh, so uh, let's talk about what you're excited about over the next 18 months. And then also, what points of insight or advice would you give to mid-level and senior level leaders looking to create or uh, similar momentum or impact within their organizations? Great. So Zach, could I start by maybe offering an optimistic perspective to the question of the post-election? And it would, Absolutely. it would be this, that despite the pain and anguish and trauma that's been inflicted on the country in the last several years, what I would offer is that in some ways, this administration has given us a gift in that it has unwittingly unmasked the white supremacy that's been denied for many years that infuses all aspects of the culture. And the genie can't be put back in the bottle. And what I would say is that the gift in that is that you can solve and fix what's visible. And the, the role that employers like Neiman Marcus can play, regardless of the election outcome, is to be the antidote to all of this. Because at the end of the day, organizations have incredible power in our culture. And they have the, the power to make change happen. And I'll just relate a quick story from about 20 years ago when I was a director of employee relations at Gap, which is like an equal employment opportunity officer. So my job was to oversee investigations of discrimination, harassment, et cetera. And I remember one call that I had with an associate, a sales associate in somewhere in rural South Texas. And the upshot of it was that he had been like severely abused because of his sexual orientation, sexual identity in his community, and was being harassed by a customer actually in the store. And just one of the things that stuck with me as he related it to me was that his store manager created the only sanctuary in his life, this is a 17-year-old kid, in his life in this small town that he had known. She coached him, she counseled him when he was feeling suicidal, um, and she created like a parent role for him. And I thought, okay, that illustrates the power of anyone. And you asked about a mid-level manager, anyone, anywhere to be able to create change in the life of someone else. And so to me, what we hope to do at Neiman Marcus Group is to be able to leverage the power and zeitgeist of this, this moment to be able to turbocharge our efforts to make our company, our workplace, our shopping environment, one of true belonging, one that stands out, one that's a, that's a model. It was one of the things that was very important about the same work that we did at Gap was that we recognized that as a majority female employer that had female leadership from top to bottom and had proven pay equity and equal employment opportunity for women. 
that we had an opportunity to not only do the right thing and be that kind of employer where there was no glass ceiling for women, but to actually go out and advocate and be a role model for change and use the power that we had as a Fortune 200 corporation with huge brand equity to make change happen. So for example, we went out every year and championed uh, pay equality and and on, on pay equality day went out and used our leaders to go out and advocate. And we have one year had all of our associates on equal pay day wear t-shirts that said, every day is equal pay day at Gap Bank, ask me about it. And they were all prepared to talk about our published research on how you can achieve pay equity. So I think that's, that's, incredible. that's what I strive to do here in Neiman Marcus is figure out how we do the same thing across multiple dimensions of diversity uh, and that's just part of being a good corporate citizen and a good citizen of a democracy in general. You know what? That's the type of note we're going to end this whole this whole episode on. That was great. Uh, shout out to Eric. Shout out to Dr. Albert and ne- Neiman Marcus and Third Eye and Canaries uh, for the work that they're doing. Y'all, this has been a really cool conversation. I hope that y'all check it out. Make sure you look at the show notes, okay? There's a bunch of stuff in there to learn more about what Neiman Marcus is doing, learn more about Third Eye, and learn more about Canaries. Until next time, this has been Zach. You know what we're doing every single week. We're having conversations that center and amplify black and brown people at work. Don't be afraid if you see a white person on the podcast episode, y'all. We have we have white folks. We have aspirational allies on here, too. It's okay. It's normal, okay? We need them. What Eric said earlier, you got to have the people who have the power. Look, we don't have power as a people, right? We got to coordinate and create power with those who have a little bit of it, and then we can build it together, okay? That's that's just how this thing works. We got to practice group economics, and we also got to partner with other, other people. That's another conversation for another time. Point is, uh, check it out. Don't be afraid. Okay. <laughs> I can't even keep this up. It makes me laugh, but I want to make sure y'all actually understand. We do have aspiration allies. Shout out. I'm going to shout out to Dr. Albert again, because yo, Dr. Albert, really, y'all really need to check out her work. Like it's incredible. Like she said, 30 years in the game one time, and I'm going to say it again, 30 years in the game. Like she actually, she really knows what she's talking about. She's not out here just writing spicy LinkedIn posts and getting a bunch of likes. She actually does the work in real life. You know what I mean? What else? What else? Uh, Till next time, we've been all look. We're all on all the uh, social medias. I'm not about to say all these domains. You know, we own all these things. Got the SEO popping like that. Just type in living corporate all over Beyonce's Internet. Just type in living corporate, living corporate. All right. Till next time, y'all. This is my third time saying it. I'm gonna say it again. Till next time, y'all. This has been Zach. You've been listening to Eric. You've been listening to Eric Severson, EVP and Chief People Officer at Neiman Marcus Group and Dr. Albert Executive Vice President of Culture, Innovation, and Inclusion at S2A Solutions. Peace. Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.